everyone, it's Jeannie, the Pistol Packing Mountain Mama Health Nut. Welcome back to Throw Out the Trash. I'm so glad you're here. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about white flour. This is an ingredient that I've heard experts say you shouldn't eat, but I always ignored them. And then one afternoon I was making scones, and I thought, well, Maybe I needed to research white flour and find out why some say it's bad for you. And I've put this off for a while. Why? Because I just love scones. So I'm going to talk about that. And then keep listening as I share a mountain adventure story about two brothers hauling cattle and what a mess they can get themselves into. But first I'd like to briefly mention a product I just love and it's called Collagen from a company called 3 International. And they're a sponsor for my podcast. Collagen is a marine collagen that is micronized, in, meaning that it's made smaller, so it actually is absorbed into the cell. And not only does it promote vibrant and youthful skin, but it also helps your body naturally produce collagen on its own. Because as we age, we produce less and less collagen in our bodies. To learn more about this product and all of its ingredients, visit my website, genieolson.iii.earth and make sure to check out the show notes to see how you can purchase collagen at the wholesale price. And then one last thing, and this is huge, all of the three products are listed in the physician's desk reference and you can find that at www.pdr.net. Who would think that a food item like white flour would cause health issues because it's been around for a long, long time? According to Food Revolution Network, in 2015, an ancient stone was recovered from a cave in southern Italy. And when they analyzed the stone, they found oat, acorn, and millet residue. And some have even been heated before grinding. Now how would they know that? It's interesting really, but I won't go into the details today. But I'm not surprised, though, that with today's advancements in technology, that they could find what's on that stone. Now this same article goes on to say that as agriculture advanced, the art of milling became widespread. The Romans were among the first people to have perfected milling of wheat into flour. And the ancient Egyptians used sieves to sift out the bran and germ, and this would produce a white flour. And due to its light texture and higher price, it became a luxury item to buy, but only the wealthy could afford it. Over hundreds and hundreds of years, different techniques have been used to make flour, and then when roller mills came onto the scene, it made it easier to get the germ out, and then it made it cheaper for people to buy, so those who were poor could afford it. And the Great Depression comes to mind in the United States. It lasted from 1929 to 1939, and that was a time when food was scarce for a lot of people, and so what they would do is they would barter for it. And they would like trade a sack of flour for maybe a quarter of a beef. You know, that was such an interesting time. I remember watching the TV series Little House on the Prairie in the 1970s and 80s. So I'm kind of dating myself, but this series actually came from a book. And uh, there was a certain episode where there was Mr. Olson. And it's interesting, it was spelled O-L-E-S-O-N, which is different than my last name. And he owned a mercantile store. And I remember the episode he was throwing bags of flour up onto a shelf and he was arguing with his bossy wife Harriet. (laughs) 
And I know it's just a TV show, but it predicted pretty good what life was like in the 1870s and 1880s. In the 1800s, white flour was an important household item, and it still is today. And even though most people buy their bread at the store now, it never tastes the same as homemade, but what does, right? I'm pretty sure white flour is very different today than it was back then, but what makes it different? Well, today there are different kinds of white flour you can buy. So you can buy enriched flour, all-purpose flour, refined, self-rising, and all of these can either be bleached or unbleached. So what's the difference? Because isn't white flour white flour? Is one more healthy than the other? And what are some of the side effects from eating it? Or are there any side effects? First, I'll talk about the kinds of flour, and then I'll go into the bleached and the unbleached. So let's dive into it. First, let's go back to taking out the germ from the wheat. In an article I found on historyofbread.com, it stated that by removing the germ, they also removed key B vitamins. And this led to what they called poverty diseases like pellagra and beriberi, which was prevalent in the United States between 1906 and 1940. And so once this was discovered, then manufacturers started adding iron, niacin, thiamine, and riboflavin, and then later folic acid. And again, that's mostly B vitamins. And this type of flour became known as enriched flour. Now what about the all-purpose flour? According to an article I found on the spruceeats.com website, there's different strains of wheat that are naturally higher in protein, and these are considered hard. They contain more gluten and is used for making things like pasta, pizza dough, or crusty bread. And then there's other strains that are lower in proteins, and they're considered to be soft. This strain of wheat is usually used for making delicate pastries and cakes. So to make it easier for home bakers, the flour industry developed a medium flour, or an all-purpose flour, which is a blend of the strong and the weak strains of wheat. Okay, what is refined flour? It's a flour that has the German brand removed, but why would they want to do that? According to cookandocs.com, the German brand contained nutrients such as proteins, vitamins, minerals, and fiber, and removing this gives the flour a longer shelf life, makes the flour easier to work with by giving it a finer texture, and then the bread tastes better, which is far more important than nutrients, right? In an article by artofhealthyliving.com, when you remove these ingredients you have the potential to have six of the following health problems. It can cause an imbalance in your gut, upsetting the natural pH level. It can raise your blood sugar levels, cause inflammation in the gut, slow down your metabolism, and the fiber helps to clean out your digestive system, so without it, that becomes a problem. And then refined flour contains more gluten, and a lot of people are allergic to that. Now let's talk about self-rising flour, and this one is pretty simple. It's a mixture of flour, baking powder, and salt. And it was invented in England in the 1800s by an English baker named Henry Jones. And he put this together for sailors on ships so they could make better baked goods. So Henry Jones got a patent for it in 1849, and then he sold it to the United States. And this is what started the mass market baking mixes. So what makes it different from all-purpose flour besides the added ingredients? Well, it's also lower in protein. 
How about flour being bleached or unbleached? Okay, so first I'm going to talk about the bleached. Bleached flour, as its name implies, is bleached white. So to bleach it, the flour is treated with chemicals like chlorine gas, benzoyl peroxide, or potassium bromate. And there are other chemicals, but I'll just talk about these three today. And what they do is they speed up the bleaching process. So just what are these chemicals exactly? So chlorine gas is basically chlorine. In an article titled Chlorine Gas on Bijuice.com, it's, it's the gas from chlorine. You know that strong smell you get when you open the bottle? Listen to some of its uses. This is so interesting. It was used by the Germans as a chemical weapon against the Allied troops during the First World War. And then the most common use is in wastewater treatment for disinfection. And one last use is it's used for preventing the spread of waterborne diseases. And what about benzoyl peroxide? It basically bleaches products. And it's commonly used in acne treatment creams and gels. And also used by dentists as whitening agents. So you really want to eat those things, right? Potassium bromate is a food additive that strengthens dough and enhances texture. And it's probably the most controversial because the International Agency for Research on Cancer classified it as a possible human carcinogen or causing cancer. And it's been banned in the state of California and in countries like Canada, Europe, and Japan. And studies have shown that many baked breads contain unsafe levels of potassium bromate. And bakers who come into contact with too much of this additive can experience like things like diarrhea, vomiting, and abdominal and digestive tract pain. So now you can find, you know, if you look on the label, you can find some brands of flour that say never bromated. So what are the health risks from eating bleached flour? I came across an article by eatthis.com and it's called Six Dangerous Side Effects of Eating Bleached Flour Says Science. And here are the six health risks. You can have a higher risk for type 2 diabetes, a higher risk of obesity, can cause constipation. The article said you also could just have an overall poor diet if you eat a lot of it. It can cause chronic inflammation, and you also have a higher risk for cardiovascular disease. All of these seem to be from a lack of nutrients in the flour, but what about the chemicals used to bleach it? For one, cells exposed to chlorine molecules can have DNA damage, and then, of course, the potassium bromate can cause cancer. I'm pretty sure these chemicals are still in the flour after it's packaged. At least there's probably trace amounts, and that can add up over time. And lastly, what is unbleached flour? It's not bleached, of course, but it is naturally aged after milling, during which time, when it's exposed to air, it slowly oxidizes and then it whitens. So you can still get the white flour without the chemicals. So to summarize, white flour has no nutritional value and some of it contains chemicals. That is, if it's bleached. But the unbleached still lacks the nutrients. And consuming a lot of it can cause health issues like gut imbalances, blood sugar spikes, risk of diabetes, constipation because of the lack of fiber, weight gain and obesity, heart disease, and cancer. So I would throw it out of your diet. Wheat flour would be a better choice. 
I don't know how well it would work in a cake, though, so if you absolutely have to use white flour, try to buy unbleached, enriched flour, meaning the vitamins have been added back in, and then make sure to look for never bromated on the packaging. At least this would be a better choice, because sometimes you have to pick the lesser evil. Okay, I hope you found this episode helpful. Please share it with someone who you think might benefit from it. And as always, please hit the follow button so you don't miss an episode. And please leave me a review or shoot me an email, because I'd love to hear from you. And then you can also email me if you'd like a list of my resources. And I promise you I'm not keeping a list of all of your emails. But before I start my next segment, I'd like to mention my new photo website. I'm super excited about it. Over the years, I've taken photos of our ranch and surrounding areas, and I want to share them with you. You can purchase my photos as prints, downloads, fine art, greeting cards, albums, canvas, metal or wood wall art, desk art, and keepsakes like blankets, refrigerator magnets, mugs, coasters, puzzles, luggage tags, and then there's more. And you can view and purchase all of this on my website, genieolson.smugmug.com and I'll have this in the show notes. And then one last thing. A certain percentage of all of my profits will be donated to the Nest Pregnancy Care Center. And this is a center that gives women with an unplanned pregnancy a choice to have the baby even though she can't afford it. So it's a pretty cool thing. And you can learn more about this on the About Me page on the website. Okay, now let's go on to Mountain Adventures. Our cattle ranch sits in the heart of the Rocky Mountains of East Idaho, not too far from the South Fork of the Snake River. Some of the best fishing is in the Snake River. But my husband Nick and I don't have a lot of extra time to fish. Most of our extra time is working on the ranch fixing fence, rounding up cattle, stacking hay, and taking care of machinery. For several years, Nick's oldest brother Donnie rented pasture from us, and he would bring about 20 cow-calf pairs to the ranch in the spring and then leave them all summer with our herd. And the two herds never really meshed. They kept their distance from each other. By the end of the season, when fall came, it was time to round Donnie's cattle up and haul them out. I don't know why he had to do it on this particular day, but he did. It was a beautiful, nice day, but it had rained the night before, so everything was still drying off, including the dirt roads. Well, I'm still shocked today that no one was hurt that beautiful fall day. It wasn't a good time for us to help round up cattle. We were busy getting the last of the hay stacked before the first snow came, so we couldn't help Donnie and hoped that he would pick another day. Nick tried to reason with him and told him in a few days, if the sun kept shining, the roads leading to the fields and corral would be drier and safer. The corral he was going to use was about two miles from our house, and there are several ways to get to it, and the main way is a two-track narrow dirt road. The first part of the road goes down into a ravine, and it's rather steep on one side, there's no bank to catch you. So if you happen to run off of the road, you would roll and roll, and wouldn't stop until you hit a grove of aspen trees. That part of the road alone is scary enough, but the other part of the road leading out of the ravine up to the corrals is much steeper. It goes straight up, 
All you can see as you drive up this stretch of road is the sky for a few minutes over the dash of the pickup. Once you get to the top of this steep hill, it makes a sharp turn, and then it levels out so it's flatter. And even though you can't tip over on this stretch of the road, it's still pretty scary, especially when it's muddy. Well, true to Donnie's nature, when he decides to do something, that's it. He would be hauling cattle, no matter how dangerous it was. So we left them alone that early Saturday morning. That was the first mistake. I say them because there was another brother, Larry, and he was roped into helping Donnie, as well as another friend of Donnie's named Scott. Donnie and Larry each had newer pickups with the horse trailer behind them, and the plan was to make two trips each to Donnie's winter feeding grounds with a load of cattle. It would have been helpful if they could have had another pickup and horse trailer. I remember standing next to another brother named Dean, because Nick has nine brothers, when Dean got the call from Larry asking him to borrow one of his pickups. I was laughing as I listened to Dean hem-haw around, because he really didn't want to loan a pickup to Larry. And he didn't, by the way. So Donnie, Scott, and Larry just made do with what they had. Somehow these three men rounded up the cattle. Donnie had brought three mules, and they were already saddled for the guys to ride, and of course Precious, his little cow dog, came as well. And it worked out great. The cows and calves cooperated and went into the corrals just fine. That alone was a miracle because gathering cattle can get a little intense sometimes because a calf or a cow will stray away from the herd, and then you have to go chase them and bring them back. Nonetheless, by noon, the cattle were in the corral and the horse trailers were loaded with the calves. They finally were able to leave with the first load. Donnie and Scott were in one rig and Larry was in the other. It takes a while just getting out of the hills to the main highway, so all in all, it took about an hour to get to Donnie's house where his corrals are. They made it there safely. The calves were unloaded, and Donnie yelled to Larry as he was getting back into his pickup, Just one more load and we're done. Well, it was later in the afternoon by the time the guys made it back to our ranch. Nick and I had just been discussing how we hadn't heard from them, so it must have been going well. That was our second mistake because just then, Nick's phone rang. Now, I couldn't hear the whole conversation, but I heard, What? You're kidding me. Is, is everyone okay? I'll be over with the loader in just a few minutes. What on earth happened? My first thought was that someone had been ran over or kicked by a cow. But why would he need the loader? It's the orange loader, as we call it. It's a low telehandler where the boom extends out. Nick told me there had been a wreck. What? How bad? Where? Is, is everyone okay? Of course I had a million questions. He didn't answer one of them. He just said, let's go. So Nick jumped on the loader and I grabbed the four-wheeler. And our dogs Mario, Kendra, and our little miniature Australian shepherd Izzy came with us. Now it took us about 30 minutes to get to the corrals. But we finally made it there and that's when I saw it. The wreck. It looked so bad. The minute we pulled up, we got the full story. Remember how I explained at the beginning of the story how steep one part of the road was? Where for a few minutes when you look over the dash, all you see is the sky? Well, this was the part of the road where the wreck was. 
The story was that when Donnie and Larry took the first load, Larry had came around the sharp corner and down the steepest part of the road a little too fast, and he had slid from the heavy weight of the cattle in the trailer. So he thought that the second time he would just go a lot slower. He would just creep down nice and slow. Well, apparently, he didn't tell Donnie when he left the corrals what his plan was, and he took off in front of him leading the way. Larry got to the steep part, geared his truck down, and headed down the steep part. He was doing okay. He wasn't sliding. He breathed a heavy sigh of relief. Oh, because he wasn't sliding. And he thought to himself, this was a great plan I had to go slow. And then, all of a sudden, bam! Larry feels his truck lunge forward. And then a few seconds later, bam! Again, this time harder. What in the hell is that? And then a third time, bam! And this time it knocked Larry, his pickup, and the horse trailer up onto the embankment and out into the field. His horse trailer had jackknifed and smashed into the backside panel of his new pickup. When Larry was finally able to get out of his pickup, he went around to see what had hit him. What on earth? And there was Donnie's pickup, the front end completely smashed into the back of Larry's horse trailer. Apparently Donnie was visiting with Scott, talking up a storm, and wasn't paying attention when he came around the corner. And he just headed down the steep hill way too fast. And when he seen Larry poking his way down, he hit the brakes hard. A bad thing to do when the road is muddy and you're hauling 22,000 pounds of cows behind you. When he hit his brakes, his pickup took off sliding and he couldn't hold it. And they went for a ride of their lives, a very fast ride. And he slammed into the back of Larry's horse trailer and knocked him forward and then slammed into him again, and then the third time when he hit him, this is when Larry's trailer jackknifed. It was basically in the shape of an L, and Donnie's pickup was totaled. The radiator was clean up in the engine and wouldn't run, and Larry's horse trailer was wrecked but not totaled, and you'll be glad to know that no one was hurt, not even the cows or dogs. So when Nick got there with the loader, he had to pull Donnie's pickup away from Larry's horse trailer, and then he had to lift Larry's horse trailer away from his pickup. And even though it was damaged, he could still drive it. So now they had a problem. The sun was starting to set, and the temperature was starting to drop. They still needed to get the cows to Donnie's. So Nick offered our pickup to Donnie's so that he could pull his trailer, but Larry, he'd had had it. He was unhooking that horse trailer and leaving it there, cows and all. He was going home. Well, this was their predicament. Someone had to help. It took Nick ten minutes to convince Larry that the cows were on his horse trailer, therefore he needed to get them off. But Larry was so mad. In fact, the longer he stood there, the madder he got. Oh, brotherly love can be tough sometimes. Finally, Larry agreed, but to this day, he will tell you he was not happy about it. They took off for Donnie's, and the cows finally made it to their winter feeding grounds, and all were happy, except Donnie and Larry, of course. Donnie had to buy a new pickup, and Larry had to repair his damaged horse trailer and pickup. This was the last time either one of them ever hauled cattle. I, of course, took lots of pictures, and then I sent them to Nick's brother, Dean. 
He immediately called me up. What happened? So I told him the whole story, and then I said, Aren't you glad you didn't loan Larry your pickup? And he said to me, You have no idea. Well, there's never a dull moment at the Enbarro Ranch. So remember this. When you've done everything you can do, that's when God will step in and do what you can't. He loves you. Get to know Him. I promise you won't be disappointed. See you next time.